trigger warning. This podcast is about grief. Whether you are newly bereaved or whether you have been stuck in grief for years, I do hope this podcast brings you some comfort. Grief is such a universal experience, but we all do it differently. This podcast is not about fixing you or forcing the healing process because there is no cure for grief. It can only be absorbed, experienced, loved and cared for. So whether you are doing it privately behind closed doors or like me, you are kicking and screaming your way through, let's support each other. This is a safe space where we can come together and share experiences. My hope is that this podcast shines a light on your path and gives you the strength to navigate your way through the grieving process. My name is Louise Bates and I'm so pleased we connected. I'm looking forward to interviewing people who have also walked this path to find out what worked for them in the hope that it helps you too. I'm sending you so much love and support and I look forward to sharing this crazy journey with you. Hello and welcome to this episode of A Gift for Grief and today I am delighted to have Emily Graham as my guest here on Zoom. Now Emily is a bereaved parent. Her seven-year-old son Cameron died at Christmas 2015. He went from being perfectly healthy to dying within 12 hours. I came across Emily when I was searching for other bereaved parents after my son Matthew died. I needed to connect with other mums who were further down the line than me because I needed to find hope that I would one day find my way through and Emily was a massive inspiration for me. I recommend my listeners read her blog called Just Playing House. Emily also has a YouTube channel where she shares her story alongside other helpful videos about grief and loss. Emily is also an author with her book, Confessions of Child Loss, which is on my list of books to read. She is also a certified grief coach and she has online workshops and webinars. And like me, Emily has a passion for breaking down the stigma surrounding grief and loss. We need to talk about grief and people need to hear these conversations. So welcome, Emily. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I love talking about this. Like you said, it's such an important topic because I think, especially in child loss, we suffer in silence so often because nobody's talking about it or not enough people. And so like you, I am all about let's go into the dark, messy stuff and let's shine a light on it and help other people who are kind of sitting in that space. Absolutely. And it's so lovely to connect with you across the pond. You are my first international guest, so I'm very excited about that. (laughs) So so perhaps we could start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. Yeah, so I never in a million years expected to be doing what I'm doing, as I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, So I am now a grief coach, as you mentioned. I work with other bereaved parents who are trying to figure out how to live alongside this grief. And I think a big part of what I do is normalizing the grief experience for other people. Um, 
I, like I said, I never expected to be doing this. This had nothing to do with what I did before, but the death of my son really shattered my entire life. I stepped back from everything and kind of said, what do I do now? And I just sort of, as crazy as this sounds, felt led to the work that I'm doing now. And I think it was just through sharing our story, being very open about it, um, that created connection. And I'm sure you feel that too, where you share a little bit of your story and people see themselves in you or at least have that hope that there's, right, I can do this. I, if they're doing this, I can figure this out. Um, and so that sort of led me into the grief coaching that I do now. Yeah. So could you just tell us a little bit about Cameron and what he was like? Yeah. So Cameron, as you said, he was seven when he died. So he was young, but I will always say he was an old soul. Um, he was like a man in a child's body and he was sweet and loving and just went out of his way to worry about what everybody else needed and wanted. And he was, you know, kind of a mama's boy probably when it really came down to it. Um, and so it was a shock when he got sick and died. Like you said, it was a really sudden, fast thing. Um, and as I look back, I sort of feel like Cameron was my teacher in so many ways. He was my first child, my only son. I feel like he taught me unconditional love. And that has gone not only from the seven short years he was here, but like that carries on even now. I feel like he is my teacher. He is the one pulling me along and helping me out on this journey. Yeah. So eight years ago, it was just before Christmas. You had no idea what was around the corner. He became no. ill very suddenly. And how do you even start to process your experience of losing a child this way? I I don't know that there is anything that helps us or prepares us for this sort of situation. You sort of get dropped in to just an entirely different world. And for a long time, you know, when my husband and I talk about those early years, we both sort of agree that we were a good nine months in before that intense shock and fog lifted. And I feel like that's the point we could sort of look around and assess the damage and realize just how far reaching it is when you lose a child, right? It's not just the loss of them and the change in your schedule. It's like every aspect of your life changes, every relationship. And so we were years trying to figure out how to process this. And for a long time, I really questioned if there was a way forward. I'm like, how do you come back from this? You're so shattered. You're so devastated. And it took a really, really long time. Um, I always sort of say healing snuck up on me in a way because I was adamant we don't heal from this, right? This, it, it we feel like this for the rest of our lives. Um, and I noticed that slowly over time things shifted and changed. And I really believe that Cameron was a part of that in sort of showing me things that could help me move forward or placing people in my life. Um, and so I, I really think it's one foot in front of the other for a really, really long time. And you find the people, like you said, who are a little bit ahead of you on the journey, who are modeling this in a way that resonates. And then it's just 
figuring out how to do it. It's all trial and error. I like to think of this as practice. Yeah. So it was a bit of a mystery illness, wasn't it? It just was. came out of the blue and you didn't find out until a few months after exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah, he got sick. So it was Christmas Eve. We had just finished getting everything ready for Christmas. He had been in bed for like two hours and I heard him get up and he was sick. And at first we thought, okay, this is just sort of a normal stomach bug kind of sick. And then things kind of got a little weird. I know he was like, his vision was changing. Um, his behaviors were changing. There were just some things that were very subtle, but I noticed they were off his fever is what caused us to put him in the car and take him to the hospital. And from there, it was just a medical mystery. No, nobody could figure out what was going on. Test results were weird. Um, we were moved to Children's Hospital um, in the early morning hours of Christmas. And at that time, he had just slipped into a coma. And so we had no idea what was going on. By the time we got moved to Children's Hospital, his brain had hemorrhaged. And so all of this stuff started happening very rapidly. And by the time they sort of saw some of the things that were going on, he was sort of beyond a state of repair. Um, and so we ended up, we were told that there was nothing more that they could do. His organs were shutting down. They weren't really sure why. Um, we ended up withdrawing life support. Um, it was just after midnight Christmas Day. And from there, it was just sort of like trying to pick up the pieces. We were seven months before we had an autopsy report. And it was a fluke thing that they found that pointed them in the direction of a rare blood disorder. and. So my husband and I were tested for that. My husband showed the markers for it. Um, both of my daughters were tested and they both tested positive for it as well. And so it's one of those things that if you know that it exists, there are certain things you can do to manage and there are certain protocols that healthcare workers can do. But we didn't know any of that stuff existed. And so we were sort of working blind that night. And I'm really not sure that it would have mattered if we had known so it was all just sort of the perfect storm. Yeah, and at Christmas as well, and you had two little girls at home. Yes. How do you cope with Christmas each year now? That's a good question. Um, I really believe having young kids, while it was incredibly difficult at the start, I'm a big believer that they are sort of the reason because you get out of bed and you try to go through the motions of life and you try to sort of create whatever it is that they need. And we had, I always tell this story. So we had this, I'm going to call it our wake up call. Um, my, so my daughters, when he died, my oldest daughter was four. My youngest daughter was six months. And my oldest daughter came to us and asked us if we would be this sad if she was the one that had died. And it broke our heart. And literally, we were like, oh, my gosh, we have got to figure out how to do this because she doesn't deserve to lose her childhood, right? She's already lost her parents because, in a way, we're changed people. And so we really put a lot of effort into how do we create the way that we want things to, to be. Even if it was really hard for us, we sort of put ourselves through that. And I believe through doing that, 
we figured out how to navigate those really hard things versus just avoiding them, which I think tends to be what we do as humans. And so now, right, the first few years were really hard. We sort of did what we knew the girls needed. Um, Now I can be back in those spaces. I find the way I think about Christmas is it's a time of introspection for me, like more so than usual. I sort of look at that as a sacred time Um, on Christmas Day specifically. I will pause at certain points throughout the day, notice the time on the clock, remember where we were that year and just sort of have a moment for myself. And so I try to find those ways to balance the grief. Um, And then right? How do we include him in our life? Because I I really believe that they are like standing right here beside us. We just can't see them. And so, right, building that relationship with him in this new way, that was sort of the foundation for everything for me. Yeah. And Christmas is such a big date for people that have lost loved ones, isn't it? Um, And for you to experience that on Christmas as well, it's, um, I can't imagine what it was like for you, Emily. I mean, we celebrate Christmas very differently now. We don't have small children. So we jump on a plane and get some winter sun sitting on a beach with our Christmas hats on. And there's usually tears, but we also remember the happy times. And and we do have a good time and it's a new tradition for us and it works for us. But Christmas is such a big event when family comes together. But when your family chain is broken, Christmas is never the same again, is it? It's not. It's really not. And you it's very different now. Right. Because you're carrying this heaviness with you and it's hard to go back into those celebratory environments because it's hard to make space for both sometimes. Yeah. Now, we both lost our children very differently. So Cameron, it was very sudden and he was only seven years old. Whereas our son, Matthew, he was 27 and he died after a cancer diagnosis. So he was given a very poor prognosis from the start, but he lived for two years from his diagnosis. And I feel grateful that we had the time to say everything that needed to be said And I started to grieve for him while he was still alive because you get to witness the decline. You see them getting weaker and weaker. You see the pain. But there's no easy way to lose a child. So whether it's suddenly or whether it's after a long illness, grief is grief. And the pain of losing a loved one is separate, isn't it, to the circumstances surrounding their death. And I think it's important that people understand this. Have you noticed how some people compare grief as if one is better or worse than the other? It happens all the time, even within, even if you're just looking at the child loss community, right? Because it's easy to be like, well, you know, yours is better, yours is easier because you had more time and more memory. Like people will do the craziest things to sort of validate and compare and all of that stuff. And I really believe we all feel our loss at a hundred percent. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it is where I know that there's differences in maybe the grief experience, right? There's traumatic loss, which is a lot of what child loss is, but there's other losses that get categorized there. And then there's, you know, just sort of your typical grief where it's like, 
natural order of life, we sort of expect that our grandparents are going to go before us and then our parents and and all of that. And those things are still hard. We do still feel those at 100%. They may just not have the trauma piece kind of mixed in. And that's really where I compare, right? What is What is the trauma? What's your background? How does all of that factor in? And really, regardless, like you said, grief is grief. It it impacts us. It changes us. Yes. Yeah. So how did you become a certified grief coach? I really sort of went out and just started reading a ton of stuff in the space, trying to figure out what resonated with me, what worked. Um, I ended up doing some training with the Grief Recovery Institute um, and they have a great program. And from there, I really went out and I started looking at anything I could get my hands on, all of the life coaching stuff, right? All of that sort of stuff. And what I was doing in those early years, I was working on myself initially, right? So it was like, I was following whatever resonated. I would find the people out there or the things out there that hit for me. And then I would dive into those things. And so I feel like I've sort of pulled from all these different places and I look through the lens of child loss and I'm like, how does this fit in this experience? Um, and and it all does. We just need to sort of see how it how it layers in with the grief. Yeah. And you've also written a book. Did you find that writing was very cathartic? It was. I, in the first few days, wrote that night where I was like, I have to get this out of my head. Um, And that was the only way that I could think of to do that. Um, And I did share some of that stuff. And so that was where the connection came from. But for me, writing was one of my biggest outlets. It was one of the ways I processed things. And again, that that sharing, right? I really believe there's power in sharing our stories and putting out there what we're feeling. Um, that raw content sometimes really hits people because not enough people are talking about that. But writing was 100% a really big part of my early grief and kind of how I processed. Yeah, I totally get that because I found writing, journaling each day, like you say, it gets it out of your head and it's just a little self-help tool that helps you to be pointing in the right direction to help you move forward, doesn't it? Definitely. Yeah. But can you recommend anything else that particularly helped you in the early days? I think for me, I leaned heavily into sort of spirituality. I immediately was like, where did he go? I'm like, I I know he's not gone, um, but it sort of shattered my belief system. And so I'm like, I don't know if what I've been taught and told about what happens after we die resonates with me anymore. And so that became kind of my journey. And I think I ended up, you know, mediums became a really big thing. I had some really key medium readings that shifted a lot of stuff for me. Um, near-death experiences. I sort of dove into that aspect. And I felt like a lot of the things that you start hearing in these different spaces, they aligned. And for me, that helped me to kind of rebuild my belief system. And then it helped me to sort of build that relationship with my son that I talked about. So it was like finding him, I think, was one of my most critical pieces in this. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think I'm on the same page with you there when it when it comes to spirituality. I found that I'm on I'm on this quest 
and it's yes. helping me keep that connection with my son. So yeah, yes. yeah, totally. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So when Cameron first died, did you find people were unsure to, how to be around you and not know what to say? There was some awkwardness there. There is a lot of awkwardness all the time. And I feel like this is one of those things that people think goes away, but it still sits in the back of my mind. And you will get the people who don't make eye contact, right? Or just even friends, right? You could go to lunch with friends and they won't even bring it up. Like they're terrified to even talk about it. And I think there's just, there's so many stories out there. I had a family member who literally ran into us in the grocery store and made a beeline for the door. I mean, it was like total, right? Just weird, weird stuff happens. And I think now that factors in every time I meet somebody new, I feel like the story of child loss, it becomes like this little bomb that gets dropped into the conversation and you never know how somebody is going to react to it. And so I worry, right? If if my daughter has a new friend and we meet the mother and the mother finds out, is she going to go, oh my gosh, like we can't interact with them anymore. I mean, I feel like that's always a possibility. And so I, I think that weirdness kind of follows us just because people are so uncomfortable with grief. And I feel like child loss magnifies that because it's like their greatest fear realized, like it's happened to somebody, um, especially if they know us, right? It brings it a little bit closer to home and like, we don't want to go there. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. And so they don't know what to say. That's so true. I mean, I remember having a lunch with some friends in um, a restaurant and somebody walked in that looked the spitting image of Matthew. He wore the same clothes Matthew would have worn. He got the blonde hair. And yeah. I saw him go and speak to a waiter. And it was like, oh, my God. And I said to my friends, oh, my God, someone's just walked in that looked like Matthew. Wow, the look on their faces, they were like, they didn't know what to say. It was like this yeah. tumbleweed moment. And I thought, whoops, I've overshared again. I shouldn't have said that out loud. Right? <laughs> it's so crazy, isn't it? Things. I know, I know. It's so interesting, isn't it? And when you it speak is. to other bereaved parents, you, you know, yeah. we can share these stories and just get each other straight away. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But how would you describe grief to somebody that's never had a significant loss? I, I feel like child loss specifically, I consider sort of a profound loss. And I think when you've experienced some type of profound loss, it's suffocating and it's debilitating and it's overwhelming. And you have just this fog, I think, that comes over your life and you struggle to be present in any moment. It's like you're constantly stuck in your head, not aware of what's even going on around you, not able to function normally. I always reference when I talk to people, the inner turmoil that we have, where it's like you said, you'll see somebody that looked like your child, or you'll be triggered in these really weird ways to have these memories come up, or that night will be replaying. And it really depends on where you're at in your journey and what it is that's playing in there but it tends to be really loud inside your head. Um, and so I think that's hard for people to grasp and understand. Um, I also find that silent, the silence is loud, which is yeah. weird. So it's, it's, it's hard to describe to people because it really does change how you experience any moment that you're in. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. So do you believe that grief has changed you in any way? In every single (laughs) possible way, right? I, like I said before, my belief system has entirely changed. Um, I look at this as there's sort of like we talk about the before version of us and the after version of us. I almost feel like there's two after versions of me. So like in the early years, that version of me was totally destroyed, um, angry. I hated the world. I was just miserable. I was suffering. I was negative. I was withdrawn, right? All of that. And then at some point, as I started to find some healing in this, I became a far better version of myself than even my before version. So I'm far more compassionate. I feel like that spiritual piece has sort of allowed me to think about how I live my life now. Whereas before I felt like I was just, I always talk about as being like on the hamster wheel of life where you just sort of do what everybody else is doing and you think you're doing okay. And I felt like all of the stuff I was focused on and worried about before it wasn't important. And I feel like now I can be very focused on what is important and how I show up in the world. And I'm far more intentional about those things. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to somebody that has lost a loved one? Do you have um, a phrase to express your condolences, a particular sort of magic formula because <laughs> there's no one size fits all I, is there but you there's not and it's so hard because I think we all have different things that we prefer to hear versus not like I hated hearing I'm sorry over and over and over again from people that yeah. would sort of make me really angry I'm like don't tell me that you're sorry I wanted somebody to come up and be like this really sucks like I hate this I wanted somebody to just totally acknowledge yeah how your world had blown up and not do the platitudes. So I always try to just hit with the, right, this really sucks. I hate that this is your reality, that you know this, um, and just totally give them space to talk. And I I think that just allowing that, meeting them where they are is what I try to do. I try to like shift, you know, based on how they may be feeling in the moment or what they may be sharing. I think that's great advice too, definitely. So can, apart from your books and the work that you do, can you recommend yeah. any other books or films or groups to support Anything people? like that. Yeah. Yep. So I told you I went into sort of the near-death experience, like I went total spirituality. I think for me, any of those, you know, I was reading like Dr. Mary Neal and Jeff Olson, some of those authors. Um, because they have child loss attached to it. So it was like near-death experience and child loss, which was like a bonus for me. Um, I came upon um, Jeff Jansen, who had done tons of research into near-death experiences. And he just recently released a book that I feel like is the perfect book for somebody who has just lost someone. Um, I think I have it here. So Comforting Truths from Heaven. 10 reassuring reasons not to fear death and what comes next. And that one, I think, takes the near-death experience stuff and lays it out in the perfect way for somebody who is grieving, 
wondering where their person went, trying to figure out, right, what happens when we die? Are they okay? All of those key questions that we have. Those were things that I went to. And then in the grief space, I always go back to sort of Joanne Cacciatore and Megan Devine. I really like their messages around the fact that we grieve for the rest of our lives. It's going to change. It's going to evolve. But right, I just I really like a lot of their messages. And so I I push people in those directions for reading. That's really interesting. There's a couple of names there that I hadn't heard of. So I'm going to be checking them okay. out later as well. Nice. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. So um, for people who have just lost a loved one, or perhaps for pe- for others who have been stuck in grief for years, what words of wisdom can you share to maybe help them loosen their grief in some way? I always try to meet people where they are and sort of reassure them that it's okay to be exactly where you are, because I think we judge ourselves and we do that whole comparison thing, right? I should be further along. And I try to eliminate all of that because you are exactly where you are for a reason. It's okay to be there. And what I like to let people believe is that this is possible to do. You can live alongside this grief. Um, Don't believe all the people that tell you it's always going to feel exactly like this for the rest of your life. Things do change. They do evolve. And I try to take the approach of like, we can't control what happened. This horrible thing happened in our lives. It changed everything. But we do have the ability to impact our quality of life as we go forward. There are things that can help us as we do this. It's about being ready for that, finding the people that are doing that, um, and let them help you to find the right tools and the right things and the right ways of thinking about it. And and it really can change things. It's possible. Yeah. So where would you say you are in your grief journey now? I feel like I had a shift at one point, right? I talk about those two versions of me after Cameron died. And there was a point where my journey was my grief journey. And I feel like now it's shifted to being me on my healing journey. And so it's not so much about me working on my grief or working on his loss. It's really about me looking at right? How I'm showing up in the world and the ways I want to show up differently. And so what are the things I can do that help me do that, that also are helping me carry my grief? And so I find it's sort of dealing with all my own stuff. And so for me, I would say it's more of that personal self-development healing journey that I'm on right now. And the grief is always going to be there. It will. It looks different than it did before, and it will probably continue to change. Um, But it's really just about balancing that with life. I totally get that, Emily. Yeah, I mean, for me, grief is just another word for love. I carry it differently now. Yeah, totally get that. So do you believe that grief has given you any gifts? I... People probably hate that word gifts with grief, right? But I look at it this way. There are good things that come from this, even though we don't want there to be good things. I would say for me, I can now be with people who are in this place of deep grief and pain, whereas before, that was not something that was in my wheelhouse. Um, I think having 
my new belief system that helps me show up in the world now in a way that I feel aligned with maybe my purpose and what I should be doing while I'm here with my time. I feel like those were gifts for me. Um, And then I think just the fact that we get to know who we are now, because I didn't know myself before. I didn't love myself before. And I think now I have that um, and sort of that knowledge, right, that he's still here, that we're still doing this together. And so that all of that has completely changed. Um, and I, I would call those gifts things I would have not had had he not died. Yeah. Yeah. And we'd probably give them all back, wouldn't we, to have our children here? <laughs> yes. And that's part of it, right? Even though we're better versions and, you know, these good things happen, I would go back to being the horrible, you know, not horrible person, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. the person I was before. Absolutely. So do you have any special ways to remember Cameron or any family rituals? I don't know that we do formal rituals. I think for me, it's been more... um you know, so we we do his birthday every year. We go do all of his fun things. We um, always talk about him, share his stories. I think where I go with this is how do I integrate him into my day to day? And for me, I legitimately talk to him in the same way that I did when he was here physically, because I really believe he hears me. We're interacting. So I feel like our relationship hasn't quit. He probably gets tired of hearing me talk to him all the time, but I literally ask him questions and I tell him stories, you know, when things come up for me. And I think for me, that's maybe the ritual that I hold within myself for how I maintain that place for him in my life. Yeah. So what would you like people to learn from your experience? Um, I think the fact that it's possible to do this, that you can be shattered in that experience and you can still carry that with you. Um, But it is possible to move through this and find a way to do this, you know, in a way that you can have a life again and you can have happiness again. And, you know, it won't be the same as before. It'll be different, but it's possible to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think I'm going to know the answer to the next question, but what are your thoughts about the afterlife? Yeah, I like I said, I always I always believed there was something after this. And until Cameron died, I never had a reason to question it or try to validate it. And so, like I said, near death experiences really shaped a lot of my beliefs. I really do believe that we just shed our physical body and our soul still is there. And I look at it this way. Every time I think of Cameron, every time I talk to him, he tunes in and it can sort of create a moment. And when I live that way, I know that I have probably more access to him now than I did when he was physically here. It's different, right? We want to hug them. We want to have that physical connection that we know here and and want. But it does sort of fill a little bit of that void and knowing that that relationship continues is critical. Yeah, yeah. So do you believe our loved ones can give us signs? Yes. Um, And Cameron is very active with his signs. That is one of the ways I feel like he comes in just as a reminder. Sometimes it's just a hi. Sometimes I feel like it's, you know, hey, I love what you guys are doing. I'm here with you, sort of a sign. Mm -hmm. Um, But it comes in all the time. And 
I so I'll I'll share some really recent ones. He so typically he sends hearts and 12s. Those are kind of his two key signs. Sometimes I'll get songs that are like I have songs that are like Cameron songs and they will come on at specific times. Um, so recently we had, uh, my daughter had a workshop thing that she did with a theater group. And so it was kind of a big day for her. And we went to lunch after, and I always tell parents who are struggling to get signs to like ask for a purple elephant. And it was a story that I heard from Laura Lynn Jackson, who was a medium. And I think she had told it on a news station once. And it was like, ask them for something really specific, something you wouldn't expect to see. And she used a purple elephant as an example. And she's like, then wait for that to happen. And if you question it, right, ask to, to see it a couple of different times. And so purple elephant just sort of became how I would think of that. And so we walked into the place we were going to eat lunch and their hostess station was like this huge purple elephant. <laughs> and I was like, well, there's your brother's way of showing up and being like, you know, hey, I'm here. Right. And I had, you know, I have songs come on at just the right time or I have, you know, the other day I was in the shower and there was a little soap heart that like just slid down the glass. And so any of those times I always pause and, and look at what I'm thinking about. And it's typically something related to him or it's something related to right what I have going on. And I just feel like it's validation for him to acknowledge that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Now, I read your blog about seeing Cameron's yeah. shadow and it really touched yeah. something inside. Would you like to share what happens? I, yeah, this happened just a few weeks after Cameron died. I was standing at my kitchen sink. I was washing the dishes and our sink sort of opens up into like a living room area in front of us. And we have this second story that looks over a little bit right there. And I saw what I thought was one of my kids running across that little balcony area. And I would just sort of, I kept catching this out of the corner of my eye. And I'm like, what is going on? Who is up there running? And I literally, every time I would go look, there's nobody around, right? My girls are in another room. There's nobody there. And I started thinking, I'm going crazy. Um, and then I had a couple other instances where I would see like a shadow in my house that would be like his size. And again, I told nobody about it. And this was one of the things in the first medium reading that we went to. She looked at me and she was like, you've seen him, like you're seeing his shadow. And like wow. my eyes like popped out of my head because I was like, yes, because I hadn't told anybody. I'm like, you're all going to have me committed. <laughs> like this is weird stuff, right? That shouldn't be happening. But yet here I am thinking this is happening. And so for me, it was sort of one of those things that really made me question, like he is still here and he's trying to let me know that. Um, and so it doesn't happen often, but it's happened enough that when I see certain things, he's always running. And like, yeah. I always found that funny. Like I always see it sort of like this quick flash of like a shadow running through a room. It's really bizarre, but. Oh, how lovely though. But you know, yeah. I think if you're more open to this way of thinking, you're more yes. likely to notice the signs. They probably happen anyway, but some people I may agree. be closed to it. And if you're sort of more open, you're going to you're on that radar, you're going to tune into it and pick up on it. I agree entirely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Emily, if you could give Cameron a message, what would you like to say? 
I, like I said before, I talk to him all the time, yeah. constantly. And, and I, he probably gets tired of hearing me talk to him all the time. He's <laughs> like, mom, shut up. I need to go do whatever I'm doing here. But I think maybe that's one of the things I want people to know is that if you didn't get to say whatever words you wanted to say to them, right. Or if you feel like there's something you want to say, they can hear you. So it's like, just say it in that moment. And and know that it's getting to them. I think that's such a powerful piece. Definitely. Emily, thank you so much for being a guest today. I love how you talk so openly and share yeah. your experience. I love your Facebook posts and all the work you do. So if people want to get in contact with you, how can they do it? So they can find me at afterchildloss.com. That is my website. I've got resources out there. I do weekly emails for bereaved parents. Um, I run a program called Living with Grief, which is sort of weekly small group discussions. And so find me there or like you said, on Facebook. You have such a lovely nature and you have helped and supported thousands of people going through the worst times of their lives. You've certainly supported me too. I recommend my listeners check out your website, your book, Confessions of Child Loss and all your online resources. And I will put a link to these in the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure, Emily. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Gift for Grief. Please feel free to share it with your friends and family and let's encourage others to become more grief literate. If you're struggling with your grief or worried about your mental health, please do speak to your doctor. If you would like to join me on my social media groups, check out the show notes for all the links and I look forward to connecting with you next time. The music on this podcast was written and recorded by Matthew Bates and can be found on his two albums, Fight Back and Kaleidoscope.